Good. Good morning, Barb. How are you doing? Well, I'm fine. It's a beautiful, sunshiny morning. And boy, doesn't this feel like spring? Well, not quite today, but it will be coming up next week. I know the weather's supposed to be at a good change. Hey, I heard you had something kind of sad happen to one of your plants there, Barb. You know, my beautiful jade tree. It was huge. Is, uh, we uh, kind of reckon it to be about 40 years old. Um, I got up one morning and a branch had dropped off from it. Oh. And it was, the whole thing as I started investigating was hollow on the inside. It just simply, um, I don't know, the bark looked fine, the uh, leaves looked fine, but internally something went wrong with it. Well, so, do you think it could have died of old age? Last night I was on a, a Master Gardener core course uh, program about herbaceous plants, and one of the conversations that we were having is that some plants have a definite life expectancy, <laughs> and as some do, do some trees, so that's why, you know, we encourage... Uh, if you know if you don't plan to be at a place very long, maybe you plant a, a birch or something because it's got maybe a thirty-year life expectancy. And there's other plants that, like peonies, who you, last for years and years, and some seem to last for years because they're able to um, continue to to propagate. We were talking about hostas last night, and when the hostas start to get uh, little dead spots in the center, that means that maybe the center part died, but it has been producing little. Um, sure. plants around the edge so then you can split it and you still got that hosta but even like people even plants can have a life expectancy so I'm wondering about your jade plant Barb. You know I, I think it probably was something like that but I had um, there it was a, a big branch and you know it was thick it was at least um, <clears throat> the base coming up the base was at least uh, oh I'd say four inches in diameter so we're not talking about a small plant. And it, it was more and more difficult uh, to try and grow something like that in your home because I would like to take it in the summer and put it out on the porch. And it got so wide and so big, it yeah. was getting harder to put it on a cart and get it out there. And then it would just, you know, get really put on a lot more growth in the summer and then I'd have to be pruning it back simply because to get it back in again. So what I did was I took some of the wood on the the new little branches that had come out, and I, I took some of the cuttings from there, and I put them in a, dipped them in water, and then in a rooting hormone, and then I put them in a, um, a seed-starting soil, which just really is, works as a support for that so they can develop roots. And I put them by my kitchen sink where it is humid mm -hmm. because uh, when you're going to do uh, get new roots, you need humidity and you need warmth. And, and they look like um, I've got them potted up and they look good. And then I also took some of just, you know, the jade has beautiful rounded leaves. Mm -hmm. They're thick. It's a succulent. And I just took some of those uh, <clears throat> leaves and I stuck them into soil, didn't put them in any rooting hormone or anything. And, uh, and uh, I think they'll do just fine there, too. So um, at least I've got the next generation here going in. And I don't feel sad about that. I well, really don't. You know, then that's sometimes with a lot of things, even like Christmas cactuses or things like that, that, that are passed down through the generations. I just, I did Google it quickly here, and it says, 
with proper care, jade plants can live between 50 and 70 years, in some cases 100. So, you know, if yours was 40-something, maybe that was. But like you said, some of the things you can do is is you can propagate from the plant itself. And there are, you know, and that's the same things I know with lilies, because the Asiatic lilies, they tend to grow well. And then some of the Orientals are more shorter-lived. And one of the other things we were talking about is generally a native plant, you know, the original plant is going to be the hardiest and will continue on for yes. for long times. But some of the cultivars they create are meant to be beautiful and they have a beautiful flush, including some of the fancy tulip bulbs where maybe you get the one year, the beautiful flowers, and then they don't come back. And I remember how disappointed I was the first time that happened to me, Barb, because I was like, well, why did these other tulips, they come up year after year? Yeah. And it was one that was a, a cultivar, meaning it was a cross of something that wasn't made to be as hardy. It was made to be some beautiful, one-time, beautiful looking thing and then it was my good old hardy uh, darwin tulips that come back year after year after year so i guess that's something it's an expectation thing and and we have right. to you adjust know, that is one thing with being a master gardener and we're we're always um getting introduced to new methods of doing things to new plant material and so because you're reading this information and you're talking to people, you are just growing a lot more plants, I would say, trees and shrubs and trying a lot more things than than maybe the normal person is interested in doing. It's not this <laughs> this passion where you have to have one of everything. And what I have discovered, too, is that uh, some of these things, if you take... Um, uh, well, tulips is a really good example. Some of the old red and yellow Darwins that I have, mm-hmm. they have managed to survive uh, even with the rabbits who used to attack them before I figured out how to uh, cage them up so they couldn't eat them. And uh, also the um, slugs, they've managed to escape those. So there just are some things. And, and it's true, it's like anything else when you breed for one new um characteristic you maybe weaken the uh, a former characteristic that you really needed so if we think we're going for color or we're going for fragrance is that uh being are we sacrificing something to get that so that's a good thing to think about when you see especially the seed catalogs with all these yes. beautiful new introductions it says new 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 and you think well you know i like to try those but one of the things we did talk about last night at that that garden class was that a lot of times we really don't know because they are these things are new and they haven't been tried out long enough to know <laughs> that maybe they aren't going to last as long. So that's that's one of the things about trying new. It's great to have something new, but maybe it isn't so great, and we'll find that out later. Yeah, and you know, this is, this is why keeping records is important, because, you know, I was looking at some old plant labels that I had. I've been cleaning out drawers and things, <laughs> and I thought, well, good heavens, that didn't stay in my inventory of plants very long. That must have only lasted one or two seasons. But I, I kept the, I had kept the, uh, the label, and I wrote the year that I put on it, and then I just forgot about this thing. And, uh, and it's so important when you plant something, even if you just save saving the label, or if you've got a journal or a book or something, write in the date where you planted it. And then if you do like it, and if it dies, put down, you know, put that down. And if you think there was any 
contributing uh, causes like uh, an open winter where we didn't get snow, so it didn't get good snow cover. Put that information in, too, because it really will, in the future, you'll see these plants advertised over and over again, and you think, why don't I have that? Oh, gosh, I did have it, but it died. <laughs> but it died. I know I've had some of those, too, and, and it is a disappointment, and it's a loss of money, but you know sometimes that's just the way way it is and and it's interesting i'm on some of these gardening social uh sites on on facebook etc and new gardeners will you know have a lot of questions and um I basically, a lot of times I'll answer, you know, gardening is an experiment. So if you try something and you fail, it's just part of what a gardener does. Exactly. And honestly, this is such such a cliche. It's such an old thing. People say, well, I learn more from when I have a failure than, than when I have a success. <laughs> honestly, that is true because you can extrapolate that information, what you learn from that plant, and you can use that the next time for something else. So, you know, which comes, you gave me this wonderful book to read and to own. It's by Emily Murphy, and it's called Grow Now. And, and she talks about, you know, how we have our IQ, which is our intellectual um, quotient, uh, or quotient. And, and then we have our emotional um, EQ. In, uh, intelligence. And then she talks about our, our cultural uh, quotient. And, and she says that people, that this is the most important is it's, uh, than uh, our intellectual IQ or emotional IQ or maybe you have a musical IQ. But this is so important because when you start as a very young person being connected to nature, that's just playing outside, exploring, watching the birds, watching the insects, all of these things. When you do that as a child, it's building that intelligence and it's, 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 it's affecting our, it's uh, in a positive way, it's affecting our character because we have more empathy, not only for nature, but we have more empathy for people and we begin to understand diversity and this is biodiversity Mm -hmm. but we can extrapolate from that the diversity that we need among people and ideas and uh it's her book is it's so exciting it's i would say this is the best most common sense book that I've read in many, many years. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I did interview her on the show, and uh, so if people want, they can look under the KMSU podcast under Emily Murphy, and it's called, is it Grow Grow On? Is that what it's called, or is it? It's Grow Now. Grow Now, yes. And yes, you can yes. listen to that interview, and she was really very delightful, and so good. I'm glad you like that. Hey, Barb, I sent you a note. I don't know if you saw it in the email, but um, there was an article about blue flowers being best for bees, and I thought that was really interesting, and and it's because uh, pollinators actually see color in the blue spectrum better than other hues, so growing blue flowers is one of the best ways to attract them. And so I was looking, and they were suggesting some of the different kinds of blue plants that you could grow and I have done a number of these and I know you have as well so I'm going to list some of these blue plants these blue flowers that apparently are very good for them one is the the glory of the snow the blue giant glory of the snow have you done that one uh, yes um uh that is 
I, I think that is one that can get just a little bit invasive. Oh, really? Okay, well, it's yeah. early. It's an early bloomer, too, which is why you need for the pollinators early bloomers. Exactly. Another and one you know is... what else? Oh, go ahead. The rabbits don't eat it, the deer oh, don't okay. eat it, and um, the slugs don't eat them. Oh, good. And oh. another one they suggested is blue pearl crocus. It's a crocus with some bluish-purplish on it. And mm-hmm. then this one, the blue globe alliums, and I've got a lot of alliums, and they do truly attract many, many bees. I agree. And, I agree. And you know, another one that's really great that also can be, I think, about food scarcity and and food security garlic just you can whether you grow a hard neck garlic or a soft neck garlic um you get that wonderful um spike that comes up mm-hmm. let's see what do we call that spike the scape you can buy them at the farmer's market is it in the, the spring it's a scape scape the scape yeah scape comes up and if you leave that on there you're going to get it's going to get uh, um, the flowers on top. Which it, look like the allium flowers, except usually they're white. That's all the same family, exactly. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> what I was thinking, it made me think, I think about that was uh, one of the things when you have a lot of hostas, they're close together, and the slugs get in there and they just eat meat. And I thought I should save some of my garlic cloves for you, and you should intersperse some of those in that hosta bed because oh. the foliage is beautiful. They get this bloom. They attract the bees. You can eat. You can eat. You can pull up. They keep multiplying. You can pull them out, and you can use them for cooking in that. I mean, wouldn't that be a nice combination with, with those hostas? Well, it would. And, you know, I, I use the, uh, what are they called, the... the the big purple purple globes, the big purple puff globes. Yeah, is that sensation? No, it's, there's one even bigger than sensation. I have that too. Yeah, and, and those what they multiply. Yes, and I give them to people. And uh, <clears throat> there's I've the original bulbs that I started with are probably 25 years old. Oh, you wow. don't lose them. You really don't lose them. They take very very little uh, uh, work at all. I wanted to talk about one thing that I learned <clears throat> when I was taking my continuing ed classes. And if I said this a couple weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> you just have to listen again. But here it is. <clears throat> they talked. There was a question that came in. And somebody asked, <clears throat> with our perennial flowers or our annual flowers, mostly I guess the question was about annual flowers, should we leave them standing or take them out? And what would the difference be? And what would the benefits be? And um, the educators said that it is important for the seed and the food value for um, our our birds and that to leave annuals upright. But if they have any kind of a disease, it's important to get them out and then burn them. Don't put them in your compost pile. But he said... It's important to leave the root in, cut them off at the ground level, because the roots going into the soil make water channels and oxygen channels going in, and that's a benefit to your soil, to all the microbes. So you know how we sometimes will go through and say, well, that's just going in the compost pile, just pull the whole thing out and goes in there? No, no, it's better to remain right where it is for that that fall, winter, and spring. And then if you're going to replace it with another one, you could. 
Okay. So, it makes sense, though, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in, in, absolutely. Especially when you have hard soil. Now, you know, I have been using uh, this cover crop. We've been using the um, clover, <clears throat> crimson clover. And I'm going to start now, for some things you can start these things, I am going to start some crimson clover in pots. Oh. So it'll be earlier, and I'm going to set it out in places in my garden, in my perennial garden, for the bees. So I'll get it out earlier for them that way. So you're leaving it in the pots? I am. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it in the pots, and I think it'll do really, really well. And then when it gets seed, I'll cut those blooms off, and, um, and I'll just leave them in that pot so they can just decompose there. The fall, I'll dump the whole thing into my compost pile. Well, now you're talking about crimson clover. That's one thing you can plant as a cover crop and will make the soil better. I was yeah. want you know, I've got at the lake house, the yard has some pretty bad drainage and it's compacted because of clay and things like that. So I was reading about those daikon radishes and those are the very, yeah. very big radishes. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I could plant those in the soil and then they would, you know, they grow big and so they break up the soil and their root goes down quite a ways. And yeah. then what happens if you leave them over winter, they kind of decay and they add organic matter to the soil. And yeah. I wonder if that would improve. It'd be interesting. I'm sure the neighbors would love it at seeing a, a whole bunch of radishes growing across the lawn. But I looked for research on that and I really couldn't find anything. But I was wondering if that would work. So it's something I was thinking of doing uh, because I, I can amend it, I know, but... I just thought maybe if we could do something natural, because those daikon radishes, I think you can eat them, but I wasn't going to raise it for that. I was yeah, just gonna... you can. As a matter of fact, you, I I had some one year, and you actually, because they do get a bit strong, you actually fry them. Oh, really? And, so and they're very tasty. But here's what I would say: <clears throat> that um, uh, anything, you know, that the farmers. That, that daikon radish, that is one of the cover crops that mm -hmm. farmers use. And then they leave them up all winter, and then they plow them under or dig them under. And, you know, of course, as little tilling as possible now is, is what they're promoting. But, yeah, so, I mean, that that is a very good thing. But but do you, you think know, in the yard, though, that, that, that this is my... I think it, I, you know... I could it, try, I guess. Big, Karen. It's going to be, it's going to look like a big... <laughs> you know, it's going to be at least, oh, I'm going to say they're going to be at least 12 inches tall, and they're going to be wide. Right. So it's going to be a problem mowing the rest of the grass around them. Oh, no, I growing. would just, I was thinking of just putting them in, like, the section where it's not very good. It would be just solid daikon right. radishes, you know, I not the... I definitely do that. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Well, I, I will try I it, think but, yeah. that, um, you know... That is more of a cool weather crop. Well, I think when it gets hot, yeah. they're going to stop growing, and they're going to probably, I suppose, uh, get seeds on them and that. But, well, you know, why not try it in a little section at least? In fact, they say you're supposed to plant them later in the year to go into yep. the fall. So I don't know that I could do it this spring then. No. Okay. That, that's probably a better idea. But you know what I'm thinking about doing? I am just thinking about interspersing more things. I have, that comes up naturally in my garden, uh, Johnny Jump Ups. Yes. Like I, little baby pansies is what they look like. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I'm thinking of just taking some of those and and transferring them around. Also, um, I, I'm thinking of that um, blue... Um, 
uh, grape hyacinth. I'm thinking of getting that into the yard. And you know what? Well, we talked about this before. How many billions of dollars are spent on lawn care in this country every year? And how many gallons of gasoline are used to mow and also to maintain our gardens and our, our lawns? And, you know, I am going to set my mower up right away higher mm-hmm. so I don't mow below four inches. It's going to, and I may even leave it up a little bit longer oh. and it grow longer because that's the, you know, if we don't have to, I know gas is going to go higher. Oh, yeah. And I don't mind paying for that, but we each have to pick some things that we can do and do better to to support uh, the people of Ukraine, I think. Right. Well, one of the things, I'm going to be planting more clovers and things in my lawn, and that will prevent uh, having to mow as much or as high yeah. as you say, and it's better for the 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 soil as well. So yeah, and and little things like that. I guess you can only do <clears throat> what you can do. And you know something, if you have a spot in your lawn where you have water sitting now, where the snow melted and it's not draining, you know maybe you need to take a look at putting in a drain system. And that isn't the most difficult thing to do. <clears throat> I didn't do it, but David did it. And, you know, we the snow started melting, and we had this pond. David went out, and he uncovered the drain where it was. It was frozen over. And, you know, that so that drain tile goes underground. That drained, and that drained that out. Where does it drain to? Because I've got that problem out at the lake house. Is Part of the yard is just standing water. It's like a little lake, but I don't yeah. know where to drain it. it. It drains clear back to the ravine, oh. and there isn't that much there. Well, see, I only have an uphill to drain. That's the problem. So oh, I, uh, that, is, that is more of a problem. I was going to say something about propagating, too. You know, I have this impatience here which was so big, um, it's growing in the living room here, and it was hanging over the container about, oh, I'd say about two feet at least. So I took some of those soft uh, stems and branches, and, and you know how an, uh, impatient it's, it's uh, sort of a watery kind of a stem on it. It's not mm-hmm. a hard stem. And I just popped them in water, and didn't put them in rooting hormone or anything, and uh, put them in a warm spot where it was humid. And I would say within a week, they were getting uh, uh, roots on them. Oh, nice. And, I mean, some things are so easy. So if you're anxious to start growing things or doing things, take a look at your house plants and see if you can do some propagating there. I mean, that might be a real fun thing to do. And, you know, I told you, I side-dressed my plants with malted barley. That was about 10 days ago. Now I gave them their first fertilizer because on the south here, we have this full, wonderful sun. The sun is going up higher all the time, and just it's just streaming in and things are growing. I probably have, oh, 10 blooms on on my geranium, on one geranium that's white, and another one probably has another 10. And I have more um, amaryllis that came, popped through. And so I gave everything a light 
organic uh, fertilizer at half strength. And what I did was I watered the plants first with warm water or tepid water, and then I put in this, this fertilizer. And, you know, that acts very, because it's organic, it's much slower going. So you think so, it's okay to start fertilizing? Because, you know, that's the thing is <laughs> when to start. You don't do it all winter. You do it when the plants start to grow. So right. is, it's yeah. okay. And these are making, I mean, just terrific growth on all of them, right? Okay. And, oh, the mandevilla. <clears throat> in this um, late or early winter, I cut the mandevilla back and, and had lots of vines. You know how they like to vine. That's mm-hmm. a vining plant. Cut them all back. Now I have vines that are coming out that are at least uh, 20 inches long. Oh, my. Because so I'm going to have to start doing some things. I think I'm going to try <laughs> and start to... I've got a an old coleus plant that I think I'll start cutting some little um, yeah, branches off so I can start some new ones. And then I've got this overwieldy um, begonia that's um, starting to look pretty bad. But maybe if I start some new babies, they'll, they'll um, do okay. Hey, a word from our friend Harvey Hess. Oh, yes. He, he's gardening away. Oh, of course. He has not, the only seeds he started are some herbs. Yep. And, and he's waiting, and that's good advice. I think he yes. found that if you get them started too early and with all that loving care that he gives them, they, everything gets so big. So, so he's waiting on doing any of that, but... Um, he sends greetings to all of our listeners. Wonderful. Too. Well, Barb, we are out of time, but it's always wonderful to chat with you. So uh, you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, thanks a lot, Karen. All right, bye bye. Bye bye.